Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to hit the follow button. Also, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, listeners, and happy Pride Month. This is Brianna. I'm here with my co-host, Lisa. And today we have a phenomenal and inspiring guest with us. Our guest today is Claire McCulley. She is a proud trans woman, dedicated parent, teacher, writer, speaker, and activist. Among her many creative endeavors, Claire is a professor of English at Western Nevada College and a longtime employee of Heavenly. I personally first met Claire while we were both preparing to be speakers at TEDx Carson City back in 2017. Uh, Meeting Claire was actually one of the first times I practiced asking someone their pronouns. I think I went through a training um, just before I met her and I remember like, oh, this is an interesting thing to do. And then now, you know, we start meetings introducing our pronouns. It's so much more mainstream now, but I remember Mm -hmm meeting you, I was like, oh, this is a new opportunity to like flex this skill that I'm learning about. (laughs) So that's one of the things I remember about meeting you. Um, So let's jump in. Let's meet Claire and let's give her a warm welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Claire, for being here. Um, I'm just really excited to get to know you a little bit better today. I know both Colin and Bree, um, you know, have great relationships with you, are really familiar with your work, your activism. So I'm just so excited to hear more about that. Uh, but before we dive in to all those questions, we always start off our pod with some fun questions just to let me and our audience get to know you a little bit. So my first fun question for you, we're playing Desert Island. You can bring one movie and you can bring one book. Which movie and which book would you bring and why? Those are really good questions. Um, <laughs> I might bring as a book, probably one of my biggest, my favorite uh, fiction authors is Flannery O'Connor. So I might just bring like the collected short stories of Flannery O'Connor because I really like reading her stories a lot or or the poetry of larry levis those are like my two Ooh, sort of okay two authors i really look up to quite a bit so and then as a movie god that's that's tough too um i don't know i like i think movies i like i like films that make me kind of feel hopeful or kind of more upbeat and so in that sense like the one i always go back to that's just kind of funny and light that I could probably rewatch over and over again is The Princess Bride. Oh, yes. classic. <laughs> I also, I knew you were going to have a good answer for which books because, hello, English professor. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's tough though, too, because like other, you're like, oh man, I wish, I, like, there are so many other ones I could potentially choose. And that's the hard part then. Mm hmm. Doesn't help either. We don't give you the fun questions beforehand. So you have like virtually no time to marinate on it and really put put a lot of thought into it. Um, But no, great answers. Great off the cuff answers. All right. Here's our next fun question. If you could have one superpower, which superpower would you choose and why? Hmm. Probably flight. Because mm. I used to have like these really intense dreams where I could fly and that sensation Ooh. of being able to defy gravity is pretty phenomenal. And in my dreams, I used to fall first, like I would have these nightmares sort of started out as like a nightmare where I was falling. And then it turned into this elation of being able to not fall and, and avoid hitting the ground and I would start flying. And the the contrast between being bound by gravity and being able to escape gravity was the the sense of freedom was it was amazing so that that's probably just for the sense of freedom that it would bring I would I would take flight I think so Claire this next question this is um our question we ask every single guest on the show if you could have lunch with anybody throughout time this could be fictional a non-fictional person past present doesn't matter who would you have lunch with and why? Ooh. 
That's a great question. Um, hmm. Wow. Maybe Walt Whitman. Ooh. Just because, like, I've read all this poetry and, you know, as someone who aspires to be an American writer, as, you know, someone that does something with, with the English language, you know, he is so quintessential mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, important and, and still a little bit en enigmatic to me. Like he's, he's complicated, you know, he contains multitudes and, you know, he's, I think he would be a fun person to talk with too. Like I, he seems very, you know, he comes across that way in his poetry, at least like, like just authentic and yeah, real. That would be pretty wild to finally hear your favorite author that there's like no recordings of or anything. Cause I'm sure you have right. a voice in your head of what they sound like. And then to actually meet them would be like, it's like some podcast I listen to and then I see their picture and I'm like, you don't look like that. Right. You don't look like that in my head. <laughs> right. You've already made the amalgam of what they should look like to you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Probably, probably another figure that I, I, I thought of, just recently that like politically and historically for American history would be John Quincy Adams. Ooh. Like the, not, not John Adams, who was the vice president of George Washington, but the son of John Adams, who he freed the, freed the Amistad slaves and um, he defied the gag rule, you know, on the floor of Congress, like reading, he kept reading the abolitionist petitions to Congress against slavery, you know, to, and I just, historically, he was one person that I was like, this guy really fought hard to be on the right side of history. And you look at pictures of him, he looked like a pretty, kind of a serious, kind of, you know, uptight person in some ways, but he would also swim naked in the Potomac River, you know, <laughs> he was like, when nobody actually knew how to swim and stuff. And he's just really fascinating as a, as a character. And, and super, like, amazingly intelligent and knowledgeable, and it would be fun. And and he wasn't a uh, teetotaler. He would actually drink wine, and and uh, you know he was he wasn't totally uptight. So you might be able to get him to loosen up a little and talk about music and poetry and stuff. That would be a fascinating lunch conversation, I think, to say the least. But let's go ahead. Let's segue from these fun questions. Let's jump into the pride of it all. So would you mind sharing with us as much as you're comfortable with um, just a bit about your LGBTQ plus journey and your road to transitioning? Well, I was like back in my like teens, even like when I was young, I had a pretty, pretty strong understanding that I was different. I mean, I have four brothers and a sister and, you know, grew up in a pretty conservative, you know, family in a small town in the foothills of California. Um, so I didn't have like a lot of knowledge about people that were different than me. I was pretty, you know, people around me in that community pretty much looked the same as me. But, um, you know, by the time I was 12 or 13, for sure, I was really uh, very, you know, strongly aware that I didn't feel quite like a boy, and I I didn't know what was going on with me that way, mm -hmm. um, and I had felt that since I was much younger, even. But I, I, you know, at that point, I was just like, wow, this is this isn't some little passing thing. Um, right. And then I kept thinking, you know, by the time I graduate high school, this will go away. You know, and every. I kept looking forward, like, well, when I, when I'll grow out of this. And um, when I went to college, I briefly, like, like my my older sister was living in the college town up in Chico where I was going to school. And she actually caught me wearing mascara because I didn't clean it off all the way. And she, she kind of questioned me about it, like, well, are you wearing, like, eyeliner or something? And then I was like... I had been keeping this secret for so long that I just kind of, I didn't want to like keep lying about things anymore. So I just like dumped it all in her lap. Like, Oh God, this is what I've been through. Um, and so I kind of came out to some family members in my twenties and, um, kind of explored that a little bit, but I was always terrified. I was terrified I would be rejected by my parents or, 
you know, um, other family members. And I was just really worried about that. And so by the time I'm kind of finishing up my 20s, I had this conversion experience to Christianity. And I quickly went back into the closet. And, and at that point, I really thought getting married would fix me and make this go away. And that it would just, you know, my conflict with my gender identity would um, just be solved by that somehow, you know, that it would, right. it would make me a man to, to be married to somebody and have a family. Um, and I always imagined that I would do that. I never kind of thought that I wouldn't have kids or anything. Um, and so, yeah, and it's, it's um, you know, my, my orientation, my sexual orientation um, has always been more fluid than my gender identity. That sense that I wasn't a boy was always very consistent. Um, as far as being attracted to people, I've always kind of felt a sort of fluidity there where I could be attracted to men or women. And so um, that's probably an important distinction. But that, that conflict with gender identity, even after I got married, it stuck around and it was an issue in my marriage. Um, and eventually my ex decided to divorce, you know, and we, we'd already had our six kids together. And uh, at that point it was just like, well, the most important thing I can do is, is stick around and be a parent to my kids. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've been kind of on the opposite side of the whole pride thing because I was basically hiding out, uh, passing as a, a straight man, you know, straight um, cisgender male and with no sort of, you know, I did, I did a pretty good job of, of passing that way. And, um, you know, no one knew the, no one was the wiser. And um, I even on political issues and stuff, I usually was on what I now see as very much the wrong side of history. <laughs> and I'm glad, you know, that my life took a change of direction that way so I can celebrate pride properly and and not be hiding this huge part of myself anymore yeah and you know i'm thrilled for you to be able to do that right and live in your authenticity and live in your truth um and something that just kind of stuck out to me when you were talking about you know your early upbringing and you know you had kind of discovered um this gender identity or the conflict with gender identity at a younger age but it kind of really came into play in your formative years um but you said you know i, I really didn't kind of have those things around me or you weren't sure, right? And I think right now it's really frustrating, like even as a cisgendered straight woman, to hear people talking about like representation of LGBTQ people in the media, right? Or in books and all of this stuff, thinking that, you know, if kids are exposed to this, then it's going to cause them, right, to leave this lifestyle, which is a bananas argument to begin with. We don't even have the time mm -hmm. to unpack all of that. But the thing I hear the most, like getting to hear people's experience is that part of that like process and figuring out who they were, it was confusing because they didn't have representation. Like you weren't seeing, you know, trans people on the news. You weren't seeing that in media. You weren't reading that in stories. So I always think that's so fascinating when like that's the argument, right? If we put it out there, then kids are going to learn about it and they're going to again end up going in that direction which again <laughs> don't even have the time um but i just wanted to really highlight that for a second because again like all the experiences i've heard it's been very similar in that way right where you didn't have that representation right. um but i also want to kind of piggyback off of that and i want to ask you so what does pride mean to you? And also, what is it like to be trans in Tahoe in this day and age? Yeah, so pride, I mean, going back historically, of course, was you know, go back to like Compton's Cafeteria and, uh, you know, you know, that's closer to home than the, than the Stonewall Inn maybe here in California. But yeah, so like for me, pride is definitely linked to like the political sort of countercultural movement of just creating space for lgbtq people you know the the idea also of like representation and just you know in our culture what you see reflected back to you tells you what's normal or what's acceptable and what what is you know a valid part of being a citizen in a country What's what makes you valid as a member of a family? You know what you define family values. Who's included in that? Um, and you know, back in 
when the Compton cafeteria riot happened or when the Stonewall Inn riot happened, I mean, anybody like me would have oftentimes been arrested on the assumption that I was like a prostitute just because, you know, I stand out maybe as, cause I'm six foot two, you know, <laughs> no matter how well I pass as a woman, <laughs> um, you know, visually or whatever, it's still, you know, there's a chance someone's going to be like, wait a minute, that's not like a normal person. And back, you know, in, in that time period, uh, you know, in San Francisco or in, in New York, um, people like me were arrested just for, you know, being different, um, just under the assumption we were doing something wrong. Um, and of course, things have gotten better, you know, a lot of historical pioneering people, you know, like uh, Sylvia Rivera, or these, these sort of people that really first made space for trans people, um, but also, you know, gay and lesbian, bisexual people, queer people of every kind. And, uh, you know, all of them were kind of lumped in together. And, you know, you think about someone like Anita Bryant, I think is her name. I'm like blank on her too. But the, the woman that was kind of the first person to really spearhead the, the anti-LGBTQ movement and all of that. And then you go through the AIDS crisis and, and just how stigmatized, you know, LGBTQ people were with that. And, you know, finally getting out from under that a bit and having, you know, some more acceptance and then the marriage equality ruling by the Supreme Court that, that made it legal for same-sex couples to marry. And yeah, there was a point there where pride started to seem like, oh, we're just celebrating being a part of what is considered normal, a normal part of the citizenship of our country. Uh, a valid part of people's families and that kind of thing. But yeah, in the, in the last few years, you know, the, the narrative has gotten darker with a lot of politicians, you know, kind of taking up that mantle of, oh, I can, I can get people to be afraid if I spread disinformation around about trans people, right. about drag queens, the whole groomer narrative and, mm -hmm. and all of that, this idea that, you know, people in the LGBTQ community are somehow recruiting um, people or trying to, you know, turn them into part of this, this community. And it's like, I, I, I have yet, I think, to run into anybody who somehow suggested that we should actively recruit people or, right. or try to turn <laughs> straight people, gay or cis people, trans. I mean, that's, that just, that seems insane and ludicrous. Mm -hmm. uh, but if, if you don't know better, you know, it can sound, you know, and you're afraid that it's a contagion or something. And that's another bit of disinformation that gets spread around is that it's just social contagion and all of that. So, right. so pride, like right now, I think has become a much more, um, you know, it, it probably needs to be a more politically active movement in the sense that you know, we have to stand up to that disinformation and and really um, get our stories out there so people don't misunderstand who we are. Yeah, when you were telling your story, I was really thinking like, okay, this is why we need pride is because you felt like you had to go back to like conform and try to be married and all that. Like, this is why we have pride so that hopefully folks would feel more comfortable just like, hey, this is how I am and this is what I'm going to present to the world and feel more comfortable in doing that than feeling like it's something that should be hidden. Yeah, absolutely. For our listeners who may be LGBTQ plus parents or parents of gender dysphoric or LGBTQ plus youth, can you tell us about coming out to your children and how that intersects with your role or relationship as a parent? Um, I think, um, you know, cause I had children at different ages when I ended up coming out and, um, you know, for my older kids, I think it was more difficult because they had gotten used to me being a certain way, you know, and just looking a certain way, um, expressing myself, uh, in a very masculine way. And, um, I think, I think for my older daughters, it was more challenging just because, you know, it was their dad and that was kind of, you know, that's kind of an important role. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And for me, I think when I first started to really come out, you know, I didn't transition, physically begin to transition really probably till a year after I first started coming out with, to my kids. Um, I took at least probably about a year before I really started to change anything about the way I looked or anything. Um, but it was in the context of my kids already kind of being a little bit um, uh, distanced from me during the divorce and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was kind of a unique situation because I felt like in that moment, um, there were there were things being said about me by other people that weren't true. Um, I remember going to pick up my kids at school once and, a, and another parent that I had known uh, through like Little League soccer was like, oh, you know, I, I thought I had heard something about you being addicted to drugs or something, you know, oh so it's just like, there were all these weird, weird stories going around about, you know, what, what was going on with me and, and, the, and the marriage I'd had. And um, so I got in that context, it was like, I just need to be very truthful. I just need to be very open, um, and especially with my kids. I knew I needed to kind of, you know, neutralize any any wrong information by just being as truthful as I could be at that point. And, um, you know, of course I had had a secret for, for years and, and even in, in my family, you know, to a degree, I wasn't like open with my kids about that. So, um, at that point when the divorce was happening, it was, it was something I felt just out of the sense of honesty that this is, I have to own this and be upfront about this now because, yeah. uh, I have to confront disinformation and, and whatnot. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't an easy situation. It's not the same as everybody else's situation. Um, and in some ways it, it kind of made it easier on me <laughs> in the sense that I think some other trans parents that I've, I've communicated with, you know, they kind of have options, you know, they can be like, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll kind of transition slowly on the side, but I'm going to kind of gradually, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of get this out to my kids. And for me, it was more like, no, this is already, you know, an issue. And I, I have to, I have to kind of put it out there sooner. Um, and with my, my two younger kids, my two sons, they were younger when all this happened. So I think it's been a little easier for them. I, I, I don't even think my youngest probably remembers me before I transitioned really. It's, okay. you know, I'm, I'm his Maddie. They call me Maddie, which is, well, their their mom's still their mom. You, you know, you call your mom mom, and and then uh, but you know we kind of talked it out, and I was like, well, Maddie, Maddie kind of works. You know, it's kind of a mixture of mama and daddy, and you know, I like so, Maddie. Yeah, it was kind of a, a a good way to kind of. So you came up with that together, the term Maddie. Yeah, I kind of talked it out with them. You know, like, well, I'm not exactly like a typical dad anymore, so right. you know. Do, should you call me something else? Cause yeah. you know, even if we go into like a movie theater, like I took him to the, uh, the new spider verse movie the other night, but if we're like going in and they say daddy in front of everyone, I'm like wearing a dress and I have, you know, it's like automatically it kind of brings attention to the fact that I'm different. Whereas Maddie, maybe not so much, you know? Maybe. Right. So, so some of that kind of helps a little bit at least, but yeah, it was, um, with them, I think the main thing, and I kind of got this from, uh, Jennifer Boylan, who she, she transitioned back in the, I think the nineties, um, another English professor who transitioned and had, had two sons and she, she talked to them and she said, well, this isn't, this isn't contagious. You're not going to get this from me, you know, and, right. and all of that. And so there are certain talking points that she used that way to kind of, defuse any any concern or fear that your kids have um, and I think the main thing for me is just you know making sure my kids know that changes nothing about how I love them you know right. how I feel about them yeah. um, or that I want to do everything I would have done for them as a parent you know if I wasn't trans you know so mm -hmm. yeah and like that's the most important part of all mm -hmm. right um you know, granted, like kids can have whatever reactions they want to, but at the end of the day, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't change much about that connection you can still have with your kids. 
And that kind of rolls over into this next question because you mentioned you have six kids and like, bless your heart. (laughs) That's, that's a lot of energy. Uh, But you know, we know that you are a busy, you're a very hands on mom. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about the local activism that you're involved in, um, whether it's, you know, the LGBTQ plus community, or otherwise, uh, both here in South Lake Tahoe and Nevada? And like, how are you balancing all that <laughs> with, you know, six kids and such a big family? Yeah, I mean, probably, I mean, truthfully, the, the biggest focus for me a lot of the times is just making sure I get the dishes done and, you know, trying to <laughs> have a bunch of unfolded laundry right now that I, I probably need Same. to <laughs> <laughs> I go on a, on a trip this weekend. So like uh, some of those things where it's like, you know, as a single parent, you know, just trying to keep up your house and um, make it to dentist appointments and stuff. It's like, well, seems like a lot right now. And then, you know, teaching and, grading papers and you know that grading papers takes forever and that's something that is always a a struggle i think probably for for every english professor (laughs) english teacher it's not like math where you can kind of just check the steps and then see the see the answer there but um yeah so it is it is a lot to juggle and as far as activism goes um you know if i i think if I have a potential to really change things would be with my writing. Um, and I haven't done as much of that as I want to. I'm, I'm working on a memoir right now. Uh, and, uh, I did the Ted talk. I published one article in with CNN last year, which, um, was in response to the don't say gay bill. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think one of the biggest things with some of these new laws is, is on the, conservative side of things, you know, the talking points are, oh, well, we want control of what our kids learn in schools and, and they're teaching, you know, inappropriate things to kids. Well, the don't say gay law is vague enough in Florida that, you know, if I was taking my kids to school the way I do here in Tahoe, um, a parent could literally sue the school just for talking about the fact that my kids have uh, a Maddie or a parent that's a little different as far as their gender identity goes, you know, if they, if a a kid and a kid will, you know, sometimes kids will just naturally, they'll see how tall I am and that my voice, you know, isn't particularly feminine. And they'll, they'll just be like, you know, they'll sometimes just straight up go, are you a boy or a girl? (laughs) (laughs) You gotta love the no filters in kids, right? (laughs) Kids are brutal sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes if they run into someone like me, it's, you know, it's not like I'm trying to, shove anything in their face at all it's just by existing i'm a little different i don't fit those that typical binary necessarily and uh you know if a teacher in a classroom you know had that that kid you know drop off my kid and the teacher gets asked that question by one of the kids is is, you know uh is is his parent is that is that a boy or a girl you know and then as the teacher answered that they could potentially be sued by another parent Wow. You know, just for giving a specific answer, like, oh, that that's a transgender parent. And she, you know, you know, was assigned, you know, even if she didn't go into too much detail, that teacher could be sued by another parent just for wow. because that's considered teaching gender identity. And unbelievable. Uh, yeah, just and if you read the text of the law, it's very vague. And I think they've even expanded it a little bit. So it would be even more vague, even going all the way up through high school. The original text of the law was, it made it sound like it was about anything that was sexually inappropriate, but there's a, it has an and between it, or it says, or it's anything that has to do with gender identity, um, sexual orientation, or is sexually inappropriate. So it could be any of those. So the assumption is automatically, anything having to do with a trans person or a same sex, you know, set of parents would automatically be inappropriate under the law, or at least could be interpreted that way for the case of a lawsuit against the school district. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of a a big deal. So as far as activism, I think there are a lot of people are like, well, no, that's okay. You know, they're just banning inappropriate stuff. So I think, um, you know, if I can use my writing to, you know, confront some of that and say, well, no, if you look at the details of this, 
It's intentionally vague. It's like the laws against drag queens, even, you know, those, uh, oh, well, of course we don't want, you know, drag queens doing, you know, adult cabaret or strip routines in front of kids. Um, but that's very different. And you already have, you already have laws that, you know, prevent adult, you know, shows from being done in children's spaces, right. you know, like a strip club or, you know, an adult cabaret isn't allowed in a, a public library in the children's section of the library. They're not going <laughs> to sign off on that. And, you know, they're, um, but these laws are, are vague enough, you know, some, you know, a, a drag queen story hour performer who's in a frumpy princess gown and goes in and reads a princess story to a bunch of kids is automatically assumed to be this horrible person. And, and then also the law is vague enough that, you know, a transgender woman brings her kids to the library, you know, am I all of a sudden violating some of that law just by being out in public, wow. you know, as a trans woman, you know, where, and you read the law and it's, it's vague enough. It, you know, these are not people that even distinguish or necessarily want to distinguish between what a drag queen is versus what a trans woman is, you know, it's, right. That confusion kind of serves them well if they want to kind of stigmatize everybody. I was just going to say, talking about your activism, I feel like most of the times I see your name pop up on Facebook when I'm like scrolling through, it's because you're commenting on something like a news article or like someone else was saying something and you're chipping in like, this is how it actually is. And here's some very polite education about this. If you want to talk more, like, here you go, we can talk more. And I, I just yeah. see you doing that all the time on Facebook. That's good. Um, and I think that can be helpful to a certain degree. But of course, you know, that can give you a false sense of making an impact sometimes too, because, you know, mm -hmm. people that are already my, my friends on Facebook, a lot of times are the people that are still accepting of me after transitioning, who are already kind of in that camp. And Right. And I think it's it's a real challenge to find, you know, a way to reach people on the other other side of it who are, you know, maybe a little bit prone to that misinformation. Um, one one thing I did, and and this is another group that it was so wonderful to participate in it. Um, there's a group called Oriented to Love, and it's a Christian uh, nonprofit, and they go around and they do dialogues between you know, leaders in churches. And usually they're, they're leaders in churches that at least want to learn more about LGBTQ people. And um, they may be in a church that's non-affirming and that, that isn't truly supportive of LGBTQ people being in the church. Um, but they go and they set up this dialogue between all these people, including people like me. And uh, it, was, it was probably one of the most positive experiences I've ever had, partly because even the people there that were maybe not fully supportive of transgender people, they still were open enough to hear your story and learn. Yeah. And, um, and it, it all came from a place of love too. And, and like there was some, you know, when you think about Christianity and, and what Jesus taught as far as loving your neighbor and, and really showing that compassion. Yeah. Uh, that that was one of the best ways I've ever seen that modeled in a group was um, was that dialogue and a lot of it's the leadership in that group. Um, Kristen, who runs the group, she she started out as an editor of a very large Christian magazine, and then she kind of you know branched off just to do this oriented to love thing, and and she's very good about keeping everybody positive and listening to each other and. Um, it was really, really neat. So if anyone has a chance to participate in that, if that's, that would be a, a good opportunity for sure. Yeah. It sounds like a really transformational space and that's, I'm glad people are doing that work. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. And I love that technique. I've always been a fan of saying, you know, you don't want to, if someone doesn't have the same belief system or whatever it is, you know, to call them out it's really not going to do a whole lot of good, right? Because it, it almost seems like that's confrontational. It's it's not about calling someone out. It's about calling someone into that conversation with you. Because, you know, even if someone had some frame of mind that you think, you know, this is like really harmful, or this could really do a lot of more bad than good for people. Um, like the only way that person's going to be able to 
see another side or challenge their own beliefs or just really think about, you know, what their value and their belief system is, is, is through that connective conversation, right? Like from that place of love. And so, yeah, I think that's beautiful. I think that's awesome that that exists, right? And we can, they can go into those spaces and have those conversations with, you know, people of faith and, and try to really just change the script a little bit. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, as far as the activism part of, of, you know, being part of the LGBTQ community or being a part of this current moment in history and everything is the, um, the Lake Tahoe pride group up here locally has gotten a lot more active um, Gregory Clemens is the one who started it back in the day. I think he was the originator of, or at least one of the main people who started it. And um, lately there's been some new people, you know, after COVID died down and people were able to gather up in groups again, um, there's been a lot of younger people, you know, Colin included, who have, you know, kind of stepped forward and started to carry that mantle to get things done. And um, the city council up here in Tahoe has been pretty supportive, even though there's been some some members of the community have gotten gone to city council meetings and um, been kind of confrontational. But last summer, um, we, you know, Lake Tahoe Pride, it was a very small group. We marched in the 4th of July parade, which, um, you know, is interesting because, you know, I've gone to pride events. I've been in the San Francisco pride parade, even been a part of that. And, you know, this huge group, but it was really interesting, almost on the opposite end of the spectrum to be a part of the Tahoe 4th of July parade um, and marching through the streets because there are people from my former church in the audience. Um, mm. You know, and it's just this little small group and we were just walking on foot with our rainbow flags. And I think I had my trans flag that I was waving, mm -hmm. uh, but it was, you know, a very tiny group, but it, it also felt very real and very personal. And, you know, yeah. I guess feeling that kind of vulnerability where you're kind of, <laughs> you're representing um, to this much larger audience, um, the, the the minority interests of LGBTQ people. Um, I don't know, it felt, felt like taking like a little bit of a risk and sticking your neck out. It felt more real to me. Sure. Um, and obviously, 4th of July is a celebration of American independence. You know, it's, it would be nice if someday that was a pretty routine expectation in a 4th of July parade, that that mm -hmm. would be part of our, our patriotism, part of the way we view normal citizenry as, you know, including um, LGBTQ people. That gave me chills because, yeah, mm -hmm. that should absolutely be something that's included in every parade. And, you know, talking about the Tahoe activism, I know that Colin, um, for those listeners out there, Colin's done a couple episodes with us. You should recognize that name. Mm -hmm. um, he's actually coming down to Alpine and doing a pride presentation here in Alpine County, which is going to be, from my knowledge, the first of its kind. You know, I've been uh, I've been scheduling presentations since I've been here and. I, I haven't done a pride one and I, you know, I own up to the responsibility of not doing that, but so glad Colin's taken the torch and helping us really get that started and get that going because it should be everywhere, no matter who you think, if you know, oh, maybe our audience won't accept it as much, like whatever. Right. People are here, people are, we still need to educate people about why this is important and why we should be celebrating pride month. Absolutely. I lived in Alpine County for a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a unique spot. Downtown Markleyville. Yep. <laughs> Down in Bree's neck of the woods. Yeah. If you blink, you'll miss it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a small little town. It was it was an interesting town. I think there were you know, it was like a mixture of different kinds of people for sure. You know, kind of the um, I remember working at the library there, and people would come in that were you know, very conservative, but sometimes very quirky and, and different. And I remember one time this, this, this carpenter, this guy that was working on houses came in and I started talking to him about magic realism and literature. And I thought he wouldn't know what I was talking about. And he immediately was like, Oh yeah, I got my degree in English at Berkeley. And, oh, you, know, cool. he, <laughs> you know, he was all covered in paint and like all filthy from doing work on houses. But yeah, he had his, 
he had his background in literature too. So it was like, that was, that's what I think about when I think of Mark Leville is this kind of, you know, a lot of the people out there are pretty, pretty unique and can mm-hmm. surprise with, with their background and who they are. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And we never know, you know, anytime we speak about anything. And I think that goes uh, the same with both of our TED Talks that we did. You know, I think that's part of why we wanted to get our messages out there was because you never know who needs to be hearing that. And if it changes just one person, if it changes their life, then all of it was worth it. Right. Um, so talking about the TED Talks, uh, you are such an inspiration to me and I know Colin and so many others and now Lisa I'm sure it's yes, the first time meeting say, you now me yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, an incredible storyteller and just really a beacon of inclusivity in Tahoe so for someone who is so visible what's something that you wish more people knew about you hmm. well I think one of the main assumptions is that someone like me a, a transgender person is is somehow someone that's become very radical and extreme or or kind of you know out there you know kind of maybe detached from reality right like i think that's a common thing that gets you know sort of stuck to trans people is like you don't you don't you don't know even who you are like you're confused about who you are and and probably mm myself and, and other trans people I met there, it's actually the opposite. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, I haven't met, um, I, I mean, some of the most confident people in, in who they are, are the other trans people I've met, you know, because they've had to go through that process of going, wait a minute, this, this label that this doctor affixed on me at birth didn't quite explain my identity. So they had to work mm-hmm. through that and really find themselves in a more, tangible way so there were a lot of things that they didn't get to us you know kind of just assume about themselves that i think maybe other people sort of take for granted that way and right uh, yeah i'm a very very rational person i'm a very evidence-based person um so sometimes people will be like oh you know chromosomes don't lie you know and you know (laughs) your chromosomes is like yeah i know pretty much certainly that i have xy chromosomes because two of my children are biological. <laughs> so <laughs> things worked okay that way as far as being a parent and, and being that other side of that equation. Um, so I know my chromosomes, you know, technically are male chromosomes. Like I don't, I don't have any issue acknowledging that. Um, but then when you get into brain science and, and the biology of the brain, you know, what's mm-hmm. between the ears, and that's usually my rebuttal is like, well, what's in my genes <laughs> may not be as important as what's between my ears and my gray matter as far as identity goes. And I think, I think that's probably true to, true for everyone, right? Like yeah. just that, you know, if you don't have a conflict with your gender, you, you don't have to, you know, think about that very much or realize, Oh, my gender identity is actually up here between my ears. Um, right. And um, so, yeah, probably I, I just, one of the things I always try to reassure people about me is I'm, I'm a reasonable person <laughs> like, yeah. and, I, and I like logic. I like reason. I like evidence. And, um, yeah, sure. I'm not, I didn't follow this traditional path of expectations based on that, that gender assigned at birth, but it does, it, it hasn't unmoored me from reality. I'm, I'm right. still really anchored to fact, factual information and <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, both of those things can absolutely be true, you know? Like, I could be very rational and also be a trans person, you know? Yes. And you're in the right place, because Brianna and I are both very much gals that we are all about, like, show us the receipts, we want the facts, we want the evidence. <laughs> so as soon as you said that, I was like, mm-hmm, you are right where you need to be, because that's that's who we and are. And that's what I was talking about with your Facebook comments, too. It's like, you always mm-hmm. do such a good job of like you're not the comments where i'm like ooh, let me sit back and grab some popcorn because this is going to be drama you know <laughs> like it, it's not that it's you know sometimes i read them because i'm like oh i could learn something here probably like your your post that you just had about uh about splash mountain closing and you had this whole explanation of it of like here let me phrase it in this way maybe this will help people understand why this is important i sat there and read that and i sat back and like wow, I'm really thankful that 
I was presented with that additional explanation for that. So thank you for doing that for not only me, but for other folks you may or may not know out in the world for providing that education. Yeah, I mean, we all we all get attached to things the way we, we you know, like with Br'er Rabbit and the Tar Baby and the the uh, those stories that uh, from the song Song of the South that got turned into that Disney movie um, theme for Splash the old Splash Mountain ride, which has just recently been retired. I think I was we got to go on it in March, right before they closed it down at Disneyland. But um, so there's like nostalgia. I'm like kind of attached to those characters because I. You know those little the little golden books, you know that. Oh yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think I, I had one of those that was Brer Rabbit and the Tar Baby. I think that's one of the little golden books that I had, and so or it was an I I also used to have those audio cassette tapes where you could read along with the book. Yep. Um, so it might have been one of those. It was a childhood story that I grew up on, um, and you know people get attached to their traditions, their culture, their storytelling, right? And so right. then we have people challenge that and go, well, wait a minute, you know, like Toni Morrison or um, Alice Walker both have been very vocal about, well, the Scottish author who put those stories together was, you know, basically took our our culture, took our folklore from the African-American people and kind of put his name on it. Um, and, you know, you can kind of, I think, growing up in a, in a small white town, you know, raised with a lot of people that look like me, it's like, well, aren't, aren't they just making a lot of fuss over nothing? <laughs> you know, you can sure. kind of minimize it, you know, but but then I think if you really think about it and, and if you try to create an analogy, if, if someone did the same thing, you know, like with a, the analogy I used was John Wayne and a, and a John Wayne Western. If you had some revisionist come back and, and make John Wayne this little pacifist kind of wimpy character and all these, you know, kind of re-edited the movies to make him seem you know, benign and sort of powerless or something, you know, there, there'd be a lot of, a lot of white people that wouldn't like that very much. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> would not appreciate that. So yeah, it's, I, I think, yeah, if we can come together over some of these things and listen and, mm-hmm. and hear other people out, a lot of times it's like, oh yeah, if I put myself in your shoes, right. I would be acting, feeling the same way about it. So. Yeah. And again, a good lesson, just going back and thinking about that, like not calling out, calling in, right? Just having that conversation, mm-hmm. be given that opportunity to be like, oh, okay, like this is a whole body of knowledge I just wasn't aware of. And now it's like, all right, maybe I see this differently, right? Or maybe I can mm-hmm. like understand at least where this comes from instead of, yeah, like this is just my tradition or something I grew up with and I don't want it to change because of that nostalgia. Yeah, so important um, to have those conversations for sure. Claire, I want to ask you, so what can we as a community, as an organization, Live Violence Free, like what can people do to support you and other trans and LGBTQ plus members of our communities? Well, don't don't make assumptions that I'm, I'm scary or bad or a threat or anything like that. Um, no, you're but... actually a delight. So <laughs> we can say that first and foremost. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I guess just getting good information out there to counter the disinformation um, is always helpful. You know, having having people tell their stories, um, you know, whether it's mine or someone else who might come on a podcast or, you know, I think that can be helpful because um, if you if you get to know someone rather than just thinking of them as a as a representation of a political ideology or something. Right. Um, I think that's what a lot of times we do in our culture is we turn other people into um, they're they're not people anymore. They're pawns in some ideology mm-hmm. that's working against our own interests. And I think yeah, I think people in our culture do that. So um, having good conversations where we listen to each other, um, that's I think that's remarkably helpful, um, especially right now in the culture that we're in. That's mm-hmm. sometimes the loudest people in the room are the ones that are you know, really shaping conversations. And I think we need more reasonable, kind of mild-mannered people to start, you know, sticking their oar in the conversation, so to speak, and yeah. and weighing in and, you know, confronting. You know, I think that's the hard part is mild-mannered, sort of moderate people aren't as confrontational. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I think it's okay to be, you know, not 
you know, not in a combative way, but like to, to get out, like if you know something isn't true, you know, let that be known and, and counter it with good information and counter it with good examples that, that you know, take away people's unreasonable fears, you know, like uh, about mm-hmm. especially other people, you know, for, you know, that, that whole, that adage that I think it was Yoda, Master Yoda in the Star Wars universe was, you know, fear leads to fear leads to hate and hate leads to anger or something and then mm-hmm. anger leads to the dark side. I might have the order out of out of sequence there, but uh I think that's where we're at in our culture, you know, when it comes to, to people is it's people have become pawns and we need to remember that people are people and uh mm-hmm some of the talking points like in memes and in social media just try to turn people into like a threat like a assume that somebody else who's different is against you right yeah that's we need to get past that for sure yeah yeah we have that division and it's like that that's a good theory if that's how we fix it is the um, what was the term you used? The mild-mannered uh, people, mm-hmm. but yeah, those people don't like confrontation. <laughs> and so, right. how do we give them avenues to be speaking up and to be having those conversations and to do work like uh, you know that that organization that you had talked about within churches to do those kinds of things? And yeah, like Lisa said, also calling those people in. Yeah, oriented to love. That was the. Yes. That group there. They do that really well. I mean, in a way that was almost beyond anything I'd ever experienced before. It was really positive. And I was like, wow, because I was really nervous going into it. Like, sure, this is scary yeah. And there's going to be people that don't support me. And, but the way the whole dialogue was set up was, was, it was set up to completely diffuse a lot of that and, and really create connection between people that were different. That's what we need. Yep. So I think it's time for us to get into our meditation, if you both are ready. So our last episode was actually about meditation, so I'm a little nervous to now follow up. (laughs) But when we were in our last conversation, I talked about that there's an exercise I actually learned in one of my parenting program classes of a quick exercise that I actually teach parents in my parenting classes for them to kind of calm down. It can be done anywhere and quickly, that kind of thing. So I figured I'd practice uh, facilitating it here with you all today. So quick instruction here, if you can grab something near you, or if you need to go grab something real quick. Um, Ideally, this is like a small piece of food, maybe candy, maybe a pretzel, maybe a raisin. If you don't have food near you, then just pick up an object, totally fine. So once you have your object, go ahead and start taking a look at this object like it's, like you just dropped in from Mars, like you are totally new to this earth, never seen anything like it before and just start kind of turning it around in your hand maybe feeling the weight of it in one hand seeing what you can try to notice about this object that maybe you haven't noticed before see how the light shines on it especially when you twirl it around in your hand anything you can notice about this object. And then go ahead and close your eyes. If you're in a place that you're able to do that and see if now with your eyes closed, if you are able to see this object with maybe a fresh perspective, are there ridges? Is there anything sharp, anything sticking out? Anything you can notice, like this is the first time that you've encountered this object. So take some time doing that. And when you're ready, 
if it is something that is edible, go ahead and put it in your mouth. And then just notice the sensation of your mouth while that object or that piece of food is in your mouth. Maybe your salivary glands are activating. Maybe you're noticing a new taste to it that you haven't noticed before. And then go ahead and slowly chew and swallow if you do have that piece of food. And just notice how it's traveling down as you swallow that piece of food. If you didn't have something edible, go ahead and open your eyes if they were closed, kind of come back into the room. Now that we are back in the room, you can set your object down or maybe it's gone because you ate it. So this is a, a mindfulness exercise, something that makes you kind of slow down and take something ordinary and see if you can experience it in a new way. It really helps us to calm down our nervous system a little bit. So a little bit different of a, a meditation, but I hope you guys enjoyed that or might be able to use that in the future. That was very enjoyable. Um, it was funny because as soon as you were like, yeah, a snack, I was like, this is like the one time I don't have a snack anywhere near me. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, a crystal on my desk, that'll do. <laughs> yeah. But no, that was really nice. And I love, yeah, I, I kind of like how quick that is. And I like how easy that is to do, I mean, virtually anywhere. I think for anyone that just needs that like few moments of refocusing or centering or grounding yourself, that is an awesome technique um, for both parents and just, again, anyone out there that needs that time. So thank you, Brie. That was really, really lovely. Claire, you know, it's just been such a pleasure to meet you today, to speak with you. P.S. to all the listeners out there, we're going to have Claire's TED Talk linked below. I'm going to um, pull a few other resources that maybe we chatted about today or just, you know, are um, significant to this conversation. We'll have those things linked below. But I wanted to ask you just before we go, before we close out here, do you have any tips or advice for anyone out there who's maybe still in the closet? Maybe they're questioning or they're struggling with their identity. Like what tips or advice would you give any of the listeners out there? Just know that you're enough <laughs> and mm -hmm. that, you know, you are, you are a valuable, beautiful person, even if, you know, some people are, are making those negative assumptions about people that are that are like you. Um, keep your chin up and and don't let anybody tear you down. And keep keep uh, focused on on making this life the best life you can make it. And um, and also, you know, if, if somebody tells you to pray the gay away or or anything <laughs> like that, uh, definitely question the validity of that because. Um, yeah. You know, if you look into the number of people that have really fought long and hard to try to not be gay or to be like part of an ex-gay movement, a lot of those people, they don't, you know, it doesn't change who they are that way. It doesn't change their gender identity. It doesn't change their sexual orientation. Right. Um, you know, so if that is indeed who you are. There's nothing to be ashamed of, or I don't think there's anything that interferes with you know if you believe in god that doesn't make you less in god's eyes either mm -hmm. yeah and honestly i mean it's just so important because like we've kind of been mentioning like the climate right now for the lgbtq plus community it's it's frightening you know for for anyone objectively taking a look at the situation like in the community or not it's it's frightening right to see you know like we talked about the legislation before how purposefully ambiguous it is right to kind of hold more weight or you know to kind of allow that bill to do even more damage and so yeah i think that's that's really powerful for for anyone in the community or any allies of the community out there listening to really yeah take that um really breathe life into that like you're absolutely worthy um you know there's no space and time where you're not deserving where you don't deserve to be who you are and that best version of yourself so i just i just personally want to say just you know thank you again for for being vulnerable um for allowing us in this space to 
you know, have you share your story um, and just really be, yeah, like a great conversation. I think that's well needed for a lot of people out there. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's really a big honor to be a part of this uh, podcast and be able to talk with you guys about all of this. Likewise, yeah. Yeah, the honor was ours. It was so great to reconnect after doing our TED Talks five, six years ago? Yeah, it's like six it was 2017, I think, right? Yeah, wild. Yeah. We hope our listeners out there are more encouraged to live as their authentic selves, especially with that encouragement from Claire and Lisa. We're going to have a lot of information below on LGBTQ plus resources and information. Thank you so much, Claire, for being here, being vulnerable, and sharing all of your valuable wisdom with us today. And a big thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We hope you'll join us for our next conversation.